Hello, and welcome back to Exhaling Words, the language podcast where I just get to talk and you just have to listen. I'm your host, Aaron, and thank you for tuning in for another week. So, as I was thinking about what I wanted to discuss this week, I had a couple topics sort of converge, and this is probably going to turn into multiple episodes, and I'm hoping I can divide them properly, but... So, Norru's just happened, and for those of you who don't know, Norru's is, uh, we typically describe it as the Iranian New Year. Norru's is the first day of spring, it marks the start of the Iranian calendar. Um, It's not just an Iranian holiday, insofar as, you know, the modern state of Iran is concerned. Um, It's really a holiday that's celebrated all over um, the Iranit or Iranic world, so places where the um, historically Iranian world has had influence. So everything from nearby places like Azerbaijan or Armenia, um, although it's not as really as big in Armenia, to, um, you know, places in Central Asia. Um, It's also, you know, it's just, it's uh, spring equinox, so, you know, or Yes, spring equinox. I had to double check that. I was like, solstice? No, spring equinox. And um, so it's also celebrating, you know, there's historically, you know, uh, Celtic holidays around this or pagan holidays around this, whatever term you want to use for this. So it's not just an Iranian holiday. However, in my realm, I often think of it as an Iranian holiday because because I spend time with um, Iranian friends. I go to people's houses. We have parties, whatever. And, you know, a lot of my social circle is, you know, from that region. So, in my mind, that's what it is. So, you know, Norus. Anyways, so I thought that, okay, it's Norus, let me talk about Persian, let me talk about, I don't know, Iranian linguistics, and my, you know, half-assed PhD that never came to fruition. And um, I had a lot of topics come to mind. Obviously, some of them are very, like, linguistic-related, and then some of them are also... Um, very personal about language learning. So actually, I think I'm just going to keep this intro and I'm going to use this for the next several episodes over the next several weeks. So let's start. So this week, I kind of want to get really personal and um, talk about the idea of trauma and language learning. I don't think this is something that we really get into often in the language learning community and I think it's something that many of us actually really have to face. Some of us face trauma even if it's not trauma in the very sort of traditional sense but even just really bad experiences during our language learning process that can sort of scar us and make us not want to continue with a particular language Um, or some of us come into the language learning process with baggage that makes it difficult for us to pick up a language because of um, either bad memories that we have or personal issues that we might find with many of the cultures that pertain to um, the speaking communities that you know whose language we're trying to study. I know I've talked about this b- before a little bit, uh, particularly in terms of like the queer community and whether or not queer people are comfortable studying certain languages where cultures have traditionally or still presently do not treat queer people with uh, respect or equality, or in many cases still uh, punish people for their queer identities. And that's certainly a part of it. 
And I don't want to, you know, invalidate that at all. And I have discussed that some. But what I want to personally talk about today is some really sort of negative issues that I had while learning a language that kept me from wanting to learn it more and really made it hard for me to get back into it when I eventually did. So let's go down memory lane for a minute and talk about my study of Persian. So I first started getting into Persian in 2011-2012. I had been studying Arabic for two or three years and I knew I wanted to study more about Western Asia and expand beyond just the Arabic speaking world. And I was doing both some Hebrew and some Persian. And then when I moved to Jordan in 2012, one of the long-term projects during my semester there was that we had to write a research paper of at least 10 pages in Arabic. It was one of the biggest things I had ever written or was going to have ever written at the time. And um, I really wanted to make it about languages and linguistics and because, you know, that's what I studied. I had friends who studied, you know, feminism and, and sociology and anthropology. I had friends who studied history and we all got to write about our own topic. And so I knew I was interested in other languages of the region and I just started vaguely getting into like language contact. So I started studying Persian and I was mostly, you know, self-taught. Um, during my time in Jordan, I, you know, read stuff online and I just sort of learned like a lot of the basics of grammar and um, just sort of the fundamentals. And I was mostly working with linguistic research about, you know, the history of Persian and Arabic's influence of Persian after the Islamic conquests of Iran and so on and so forth. And so I wrote my paper and I was um, planning on studying in Iran but like I've talked about before, this is 2012 and Iran and Israel were, you know, lobbying threats as they do. And my family really wanted me to come back to, to the U.S. So I came back and I found the cheapest program I could, which taught Tajik and not Iranian Persian. Which at the time I was like, oh, this will be cool. Like I, I knew a little bit of Russian and I knew how to read Cyrillic. And I thought, okay, like we don't just have to do like Iranian Persian because when I first started studying Persian, I wasn't really exposed a lot to, you know, Afghan dialect or Tajik dialect. So I went to Arizona, I studied Tajik, I thought it was completely awesome. And I really fell in love with this other side of the Persian speaking world. And so from my study in Tajik, I then started to get into Afghan dialect, also known as Dari, and I will use Dari throughout this episode. Um, just to distinguish more easily. And, and you know, and that's sort of what I did was I studied Dari and I got used to Tajik and Dari. And then in 2013, during the summer, before I went to graduate school, I went to Indiana University and I studied Dari for the summer. I took their intermediate Dari course. It was a wonderful experience. My professor Rahman is a gem. To this day, we're still friends. I message him. I ask him questions about you know, Pashto questions about Afghanistan and things, and he's wonderful. And I really loved the community that I was in. I had friends who studied Iranian Persian, both in Arizona and in Indiana. One of the girls in my class in Indiana was a native speaker of Iranian Persian and Arabic, and then she was taking the Dari class to sort of learn about another another dialect of Persian. And And I hadn't really had negative experiences around these dialects of of Persian. If anything, sort of the negative experience was that 
Tajiks and Afghans sometimes make fun of Iranians, not in a super pejorative way, but just sort of this, this is what Iranian Persian sounds like, and they sort of joke about it. But if anything, my Afghan and my Tajik professors were very straightforward about, you know, at the end of the day, Iranian dialect is the one that is still very much the dialect of the majority. They dictate a lot of the standards. Or, you know, my Dari professor once explained it to me. He was like, it's like a spectrum, but it only goes one way. Tajiks will change their accent to match an Afghan, and Afghans and Tajiks will change their accent to match an Iranian, but you'll never see it happen in the other direction. Iranians will not shift their accent to match an Afghan, and Afghans will not switch their accent to match a Tajik. And it has to do with sort of a certain question of linguistic power and linguistic hegemony. And there's a lot that can be said about this from a historical standpoint, from the rise of nation states and, you know, Tajik being under the Russian Empire and then under the Soviets and then, you know, and Iran sort of solidifying its place while in Afghanistan, you had Dari speakers uh, sort of fighting alongside Pashto speakers for, you know, who would have sort of more linguistic prominence and influence in the country. And there's a lot of history here that we could go into about why it is the way it is. However, you choose to interpret that, and that's a whole conversation for a separate day, and I can recommend it, you know, books and readings on this. At the end of the day, this is the balance of power when it comes to the Persian language, to a certain extent. That, for example, the, the regulating body, the Ferhangistan, which is the equivalent of, you know, the Real Academia Española, or l'Académie Française, or, you know, these sort of regulating bodies that dictate grammar, that dictate spelling, that dictate, you know, the coinage of new words... The one for Persian is based in Iran. Now, again, we can go into how, well, it was founded in Iran by Iranians, and so they sort of took their own power. I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing. You know, how did, you know, Spaniards found the, you know, the RAE? Or how did the French um, found l'Académie Française? So I'm not, I'm not trying to put a value judgment on it. I'm just laying out the situation for you. So let's hop to... 2014. So 2013, I did Dari, and then I started my master's degree. And during my master's degree, I did Middle Persian. I did... That was kind of it. I started a course in Classical Persian, and I got a few comments here and there about my accent, but I had to drop the course because it conflicted with my Armenian classes, and there was, you know, some issues there. So I didn't really do a lot with Persian. I did, like, Middle Persian. I did Zoroastrian things. I did Iranian studies types of stuff during my master's degree, but I didn't formally study, like, Persian properly. So I moved to Los Angeles in 2014 to start a PhD in Iranian studies. Um, I generally say Iranian historical linguistics, but on paper I just said Iranian studies. And again, my research and my work didn't really deal with modern Persian, and so it was never really the focus of what I did. But... One, if you're going to work in that field, you really should know at least some modern Persian. And two, during my first year of my PhD, my uh, advisor was on sabbatical. It had sort of been forced on him. He had been, you know, he kept delaying it. And they finally were like, you either take it or you leave it. And so he took it and he just, you know, we emailed a lot. He suggested courses for me. Um, and, you know, I did what I could while he was gone. And 
and I still did a lot that year. You know, I studied Persian, I studied German, I studied Russian, um, I did courses in history. You know, I, I I prepped myself for when he would come back and we could really dive into a lot of the dead languages that we were going to work with. So I by no means was upset with with that option. It gave me sort of a year to work on stuff. So during that year, I was told to take a series in Persian, in the advanced Persian course, which was classical Persian. And so we did classical Persian literature in fall quarter. Uh, UCLA runs in quarters. So for 10 weeks, uh, fall quarter, we did poetry. And winter quarter, we did prose. And then spring quarter, we did a graduate seminar again in poetry so fall quarter we did like a survey of poetry we read a bunch of different stuff we learned about meter and you know rhyme and all those sorts of things in winter quarter we mostly just read excerpts from Kimioi Saudat from uh, which Ghazali brothers it's from one of the Ghazalis um anyways it's either Ahmed or I forgot the other one's name it's you know Ghazali in, in Arabic is what I say his name as. But yeah, Kimiyoi Saudat, The Alchemy of Happiness. We read excerpts from that. And then in spring, all we did was Saadi. That's what the professor's uh, research was on. He was working on a book on it. So we just read Saadi, um, which was great. Don't be wrong. Like Saadi's wonderful to this day. He's probably one of my favorite poets because I've studied him so much. However, it was very clear, very fast in my courses that because of the dialect that I spoke with, I was going to be the outsider. Now, there was already the question of being the outsider in the courses because, for those of you who don't know, Los Angeles has a very large Iranian community or Persian community, whichever term people use to identify with. And so you get a lot of students who are heritage speakers of Persian. And you also get a lot of Iranians who came straight from Iran and, you know, come to UCLA to do their degree and to study. And so just being in those classes, I was usually one of two or three. It was me, the other woman in my graduate program, and sometimes another graduate student, non-native speakers in these courses. So off the bat, I already felt sort of slighted because I'm not, you know, a native speaker. And so I'm already feeling like I constantly have to play catch up because I don't know all these words or all this grammar. Now, granted, classical Persian literature, classical Persian poetry is still quite different from modern Persian. A native speaker can sit down and read it and grab most of it, but there's nuance that's lost because of the shifts in grammar, shifts in meaning of words or things. And I was lucky to have a really good professor who would point that out. Um, so it didn't always feel like, you know, I was surrounded by native speakers who knew what was going on and I was lost. You know, he was very good at pointing out to even the native speakers that, no, this doesn't quite mean what you think it does. And we got into a lot of conversations about that. But on top of being one of the only non-native speakers in the class, I spoke with a different dialect. And you would think that this wouldn't be much of a problem, except that it was a problem. Now, it wasn't a problem in terms of, like, understanding. It was not very often that I would say something and nobody would know the word I used or something like that. I had learned enough about the different dialects of Persian that I knew not to use, like, like super Dari-sounding words or Tajik-sounding. Like, I knew not to use universitet 
or something like to say the Russian word like you would say it in Tajik. I knew to say Donishka. I still more more naturally felt comfortable saying Pohantun, which is a Pashto word that's used in Dari, but I knew the word Donishka, whatever. There were some things that I didn't know. So, for example, while we were reading Ghazali, um, there are sections where he talks about like if a man makes a mistake or if a man sins, and I forgot what the rest of it is, and he uses a verb, Qalat Kardan, which is uh, in Iranian accent, Qalat Kardan, which in um, Tajik or in, in, in Dari would be Qalat Kardan. And in Iranian Persian, this means like to F up. And so people are reading this going, well, like, if this dude's done effed up, and it sounds very inappropriate to them. In Afghanistan and in Tajikistan, using the verb ghalat kardan doesn't mean anything besides to make a mistake. However, in Iran, it means something much stronger. And in Iran, they use the verb ishtibah kardan. I now know these differences, but I didn't know it at the time. I had never heard the verb ishtibah kardan. So we're reading this. I don't realize, like, why the students are laughing. And my professor stops them and explains this is this. And I literally raised my hand. And I was like, I'm lost. And he's like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, you're saying that that this verb, Qalat Kardan, means Ishtibah Kardan. I don't know what Ishtibah Kardan means. I don't get why this is funny to say Qalat Kardan. Isn't this just a normal word? And so I have to sit in the middle of this class and be like, call me stupid. But, you know, I just felt lost. And, you know, he explained that to me. That's a little thing. Whatever. Not a big deal. But it became a thing that was constantly called out. So it's one thing to like not know a word. Or there was once when I was reading a dialogue, I would go to conversation classes for the intermediate class just to practice my speaking because I you know, was mostly so self-taught and I had done a lot of linguistic work, but it wasn't really conversational. And one time we're like reading a dialogue, me and this girl, and I don't even remember what the dialogue was or whatever but so in the present tense in modern persian and in the past imperfect there's a prefix me so you say like me konam me kardam whatever in afghanistan and tajikistan this is pronounced may and not me and actually historically it was pronounced may um and that's a whole separate thing i can talk about sound changes from middle persian into early new persian and so on and so forth and so i'm reading this dialogue with this girl and I'm pronouncing, you know, me as may. I don't pronounce my vowels as v. I pronounce them as w or as a v, like a semi, um, like a semi sort of bilabial thing, which is what you hear in Afghanistan. And the girl like is literally stopping me. And this is, you know, she's a heritage speaker, born and raised in Los Angeles, and she's stopping me, like I'm stupid, going, okay. So every time you see me at the beginning of a verb, it's pronounced me and not may. And don't forget that 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 the letter vav is pronounced like a v in English. And I'm like literally dumbfounded because I'm like, have you never heard another dialect besides the one that you were raised speaking in Los Angeles? Which, unfortunately, you know, maybe this will sound judgmental. A lot of people don't. You know, just this is this is me being objective. A lot of Iranians born and raised in Los Angeles from a certain class of Iranian Americans aren't really exposed to other dialects. And that's a whole, again, a whole separate thing, sociolinguistics, that we can talk about. And the professor came over and, like, stopped her and was like, so outside of Iran, people pronounce me as May, and what Aaron's doing is fine, because she speaks Tajik and she speaks uh, Dari. 
And so, like, this sort of occurrence was one thing. You know, it's one thing when you have, like, a 19-year-old correcting you and they don't really know any different. But it became, like, the thing. So I would go out to Persian restaurants with Iranian friends, order food. And, again, I this is, like, several years into living in Los Angeles. And I've gotten used to, like, putting on an Iranian accent. But it still isn't, like... Iranian Iranian it still has this sort of like I still to this day say some words with like a slight Tajik flair or when I read from a page I have to make a concerted effort to read it in an Iranian accent because when I see the letters my brain is just associated to Dari pronunciation and so we're out we're ordering food and I like you know say something with a slight accent or whatever and it gets pointed out immediately or we would have talks because UCLA has a really big Persian studies program or Iranian studies program. And they actually, when I was there during my second year, they got this huge endowment to found a center for Iranian studies. And so we had all these talks and all these guests and, and, and don't get me wrong. Like that was great. But what would happen is one, you know, and this is not weird for graduate students. You get trotted out like the pony. You're like, this is my graduate student. She studies this. Let's talk about this. You know, and in many situations, like, that's great. I got to meet wonderful scholars in my field, you know, people who were on the cutting edge of what they were doing, um, people who were titans in the field of Iranian studies. You know, these great people in Iranian studies, especially in ancient Iranian studies, who are amazing. And so, like, that's the thing is that I'm by no means that I'm, I'm upset about being trotted out like the pony, but I would be trotted out like the pony for being the girl who spoke Tajik. So, for example, we had somebody come and give a lecture in Persian about the Cyrus Cylinder and the value of it and, like, Iran being one of the first nations to, like, recognize human rights and things because of the Cyrus Cylinder. And, you know, and the whole thing was in Persian. I sat there, I listened, I didn't participate a lot, but, you know, I, I keep up on a passive level. And afterwards, I'm talking to people on my way out and whatnot. And I get stopped by one of my professors who she, she teaches Persian. And, and she's speaking English, first of all, to an Iranian woman and telling her about how, you know, like Erin is one of our graduate students and, you know, and she's been with us for probably two or three years now and oh you should hear her when she speaks Persian she speaks with just like the cutest little Tajik accent and I'm like "Uh uh-huh yeah and she flips into Persian and I forgot what she said to me but she says something to me and like and the other woman like introduces herself and I respond in Iranian Persian because I'm like screw this I'm not here for you to like poke fun at my dialect and be like oh this is so cute I'm here to speak Persian. And again, like this was several years into me being there. And so I learned to speak with an Iranian accent. And and I probably even said something like, you know, yeah, I used to speak with a with a Tajik accent, but now I speak with an Iranian one because you're in LA. Like that's what you have to do. And so like this became a thing. And it was frustrating. Or, you know, other situations like my advisor once asked me if I had heard from the other graduate student and I just, you know, wanted to we were dealing with a lot of crap, so I wanted to feign ignorance, and I was just like, nope, haven't heard a thing, and I said, like, you know, no, I don't know anything, and I looked at him, and I just said, like, and he starts laughing at me, because, and he's correct, technically, when you say something like, it implies that I know nothing at all, 
not I haven't heard anything about her. I don't know what her news is or where she is or what's going on. And that's fair. Like, don't get me wrong. But it's the fact that in a room with four other native speakers of Persian, one of whom is a graduate student and one of them whom is a teacher, and we all are supposed to respect each other, he literally, like, sits there and points at me and laughs at me and turns it into this whole, like, moment of Aaron clearly doesn't speak Farsi well enough. And so this took a toll. And it took a big toll. I don't want to act like, oh, well, this is all stupid. And and I've only given a few examples here, but when you spend three years surrounded by a community of people who speak this language and all you ever get in response to you trying to talk is some sort of f- negative feedback um, and not even in like a nice constructive criticism sort of negative feedback, but in a let me make fun of you for your accent, let me make fun of you for your word choice. Um, Let me put you down for the fact that you don't talk like us. This really starts to take a psychological toll. And when I left my program for a lot of reasons, but part of it was um, some mental health issues I was having. And I don't know how much of it was related to that and how much of it was related to other things. When I left, I very much like turned my back on it. Like I went on a on a medical leave of absence for my mental health and in my free time I was teaching Arabic and tutoring Arabic and I sort of like ran away from Iranian studies and hid in Arabic. And um this really took a toll. And so that was in 2017 when I left and I like couldn't touch Persian for years. I didn't want to listen to Persian music. I didn't want to speak Persian with anyone when I finally did start doing something with Persian again, which was maybe in like 2018 sometime, I only did Afghan things. Like I would listen to Afghan news. I would listen to Afghan music. I tried to watch a couple films from Afghanistan, but there aren't that many to be honest. And so I very much like had to leave. Um, And I, I just couldn't base it. And this got to the point where even when I finally got comfortable with Persian as a language, Iranian accents still gave me a hard time. When I started using Persian again and making it a part of my life again, I purposely was like, I need to improve my Iranian accent because this is the one that everybody's going to use in translation and stuff. And so I started trying to make myself listen to news from Iran and listening to Iranian music and speaking Iranian Persian. I would read books and read news articles and make myself read them aloud with an Iranian accent. And and maybe this sounds stupid, you know, but the first few times it literally upset my stomach because one, personally, I was so critical of myself and my accent. But two, I don't, there was something about it that is just all of these bad, bad memories of, you know, just being put down and made fun of constantly just came rushing back. And it made it really hard to want to speak this language and to want to use this language. And to this day, sometimes, like, I would say that I think I'm over a fair amount of my trauma around it. Like, I have a small community of Iranians here where I live now that I'm friends with and we do stuff. I went to somebody's house for Noru's and it was a lot of fun and I've learned to speak with an Iranian accent. I do with them. 
and and again, like I don't really feel trauma around it. I don't feel that same sort of like you know really bad physical response to it. There are still moments when like I'm super self conscious talking to them, or again when I'm reading. Like talking, fine, but I'll read something and I'm super self conscious about reading it because I know I'm probably going to read it with a Dari accent and it's going to get messed up and I'm worried that they're going to think I'm stupid and you know all of these sorts of bad feelings start rushing back. And there is a certain extent to which I still feel more comfortable with Dari. Even if it's not my own speaking, because these days when I speak, I mostly speak Iranian Persian. And so that's become the default dialect that I speak in. It takes me a lot um, to sort of get Dari to come out of me comfortably again. But when I listen, like to this day, if you put on a news program in Iranian Persian and a news program in Afghan in Dari, I will understand the Afghan Dari one better and faster. It's just... It's the language that I'm used to at this point. And I, I don't know if that'll ever change. It might, might not. Uh, that's a whole separate thing we can talk about, about sort of comfortability within a specific dialect or accent over others and how you get over that or or if that ever changes. And that's, if you guys are interested, that's something I've thought about a lot, especially with Arabic and Persian. Um, that's That's definitely a topic I could get into one week. But yeah, this sort of trauma that I have around my time studying Persian it's something that I'm still dealing with, you know, again, I, I have less of an issue with like the very like severe physical responses and more just a lot of baggage about feeling bad about myself and the way I talk or, you know, my, my inability to use the language sometimes, you know, I look back at it and I go, I started Persian in 2012, you know, it's been over eight years and sometimes I still talk like I've been doing this for three years. I read at a very high level, don't get me wrong, but because of sort of making myself hide away from it because of making myself possibly purposefully forget things because of not wanting to touch it because of all the negative feelings around it. I've lost a lot and it's really stunted my growth. And it's something that on a very personal level, like I struggle with because I feel like, how do I tell people like, oh, I've been doing Persian for eight years, but I sound like I've been studying Persian for three years. And how are people supposed to take me seriously? So yeah, there really isn't a lesson here. Besides, I just want people to realize that negative experiences and not, you know, being told you have a bad accent once, but this sort of systemic kind of beating down of, of, of somebody about learning or the way they learn or about something about themselves as they try to be part of a language speaking community can really have a serious negative effect. So if you're struggling with this, if you had a really bad experience and you're struggling getting past it or if you had a really bad experience and you're struggling to pick that language back up again or start a new language that's somehow related to those negative experiences that you have in your life, don't feel bad. Please don't. And if you can't do it, don't do it. You know, that's a whole separate issue in terms of like working through your trauma, maybe going to therapy or something. And, you know, I can't give you advice on that. But don't push yourself more than you're physically able. Don't re-traumatize yourself or make yourself have breakdowns over wanting to learn a language that that you have some sort of scarring from. Um, so don't feel bad if you're in a situation where I was or in a situation where I am. Eventually, yeah, you might be able to get over it. I think when you find yourself surrounded by people who are good, positive influences, who don't judge you for things like accents, who don't judge you for your sexuality or whatever it may be that caused your trauma, I think 
that you'll find happiness and and pleasure in studying that language again but that might take time and so let yourself have that time that's important as always thank you for tuning in and listening i hope you know if nothing else you learned something new today about the struggles of language learning and maybe my experience might help you through yours at some point If you have any comments about today or questions or just want to get in touch with me, my name is Polyglot Aaron, P-O-L-Y-G-L-O-T-E-R-I-N, on all major social media and at gmail.com. And I will see you all next week. Goodbye.